Well, we want to welcome you here to our service this morning. I know it was a greater challenge to be here, so we thank you for being here with us. Uh, yes, I am in a t-shirt. I have never done this on stage with a t-shirt, uh, mainly because of my physique and how irresistible it is. But anyway, um, no, actually Rodney wanted us to look like twins. How do we do? Anyway. DeVito. <laughs> Oh, well, this morning we're going to continue, continue the series Table Talk, and it's just one of those things where we get around the table and talk about issues in our lives, especially as it relates to marriage. We've already done that one, and last week, foster care. It's a very serious conversation we all need to have. And then today we're going to be talking about those things that separate us uh, when it comes to the church community. And so we are going to continue that. Well, if you don't know Rodney, Rodney is here with me today, and Rodney and Melissa, his wife, are very active here in our church. They have four children, uh, and also uh, Rodney is also a deacon here in our church, and uh, just blessed to have him here today. And it's something that actually we've been working on for several months now to be here in front of you today. And uh, I've learned so much from him, and I hopefully he's learned a little bit from me. But anyway, uh, it's been a great journey to bring us here to this day. Well, today, what I want to do is talk to you about something that I should, I think should be discussed in every church. Amen. And, and it's really that idea of kingdom community, achieving harmony in diversity. And the way I want to start this, if you will, look on your outline. I want to start with the definition of harmony. What, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about harmony? Well, in, in musical terms or in the way the world looks at it, uh, two or more different parts coming together to create a unified sound. And that's really, if you really think about it, that's pretty much what the church is made of. All kinds of different parts that's coming together to be used for the glory of God. So look at the introduction. We as followers of Jesus Christ should desire to be the church that God desires and that best resembles heaven. Now, many of you would say, well, why does it need to resemble heaven? Well, think about what's going on. <laughs> uh, heaven's worship is consisting of all races, nationalities, and cultures. And when you think about it, Jesus there, when he was talking about the model prayer, think about what he said. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How? On earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. We are to reflect what's going on in heaven, which brings us to the next point there on your outline. Therefore, we are called to reflect the reality of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And I believe that begins with the local church. So think about what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter one, the very beginning of the letter. Here's what he writes when he addresses them. Look here on the screen. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. This is it. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You see, he was basically saying that we're all together. God's desire is for community, no matter where we meet. And if we do meet, that there be diversity there also, because this is the path and this is what we find in scripture. So really, when you think about it, if, if that's his desire, what actually separates us? What separates us? Well, I think sometimes our gender can separate us. How many of you remember the fourth grade? 
You remember the fourth grade? Now, back when I was coming through the fourth grade, the girls had nothing to do with the boys. Mm -hmm. And the boys had nothing to do with the girls. Yeah, they had cooties. Yeah, they had cooties. That's right. Uh, anyway, y'all know that terminology up north? Y'all use the same thing? Yeah, we do. Okay, anyway. So, <laughs> so anyway, we, we can have that whole idea when it comes to our gender. Yeah, you know, speaking of um, up north, another thing that can be used to separate us is, is our geography, where we come from demographically. You know, me being a Yankee, I don't pull for the Yankees, I pull for the Phillies. <laughs> but me being a Yankee, when I moved down here, I mean, it, it took some intercessory prayer. Huh? It took some, some what would Jesus do stickers on my windshield. <laughs> And maybe even memorizing a serenity prayer so I could accept the things I couldn't change by how slow y'all drove. <laughs> you know, but, you know, at least when you were up north, you know, whatever they did, they did it fast. If they cut you off, it was fast. <laughs> if they cussed you out, it was fast. <laughs> but then you can go about your way, you know. So I had to accept that. So that, that becomes a Another a thing that separates us, of course, in this day and age, politics. And when you think yeah. about politics, there's a great divide when it comes to that. You see it every day in the news. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, another uh, shock to my system was uh, coming to what they call the Bible Belt. And um, there were so many denominations, and I thought to myself, man, how, how did we get that, how did that slip past us? Like, isn't denominations used in division? Huh. But I looked it up, and did you know that there's at least 31 registered versions of Baptist? <laughs> right, I'm like, am I going to a church or to an ice cream parlor? <laughs> you know, 31 flavors, you know? It's like getting Boy Scout badges. You know, you go to this church, you get that one. You go to this church, you get that one. And I'm, it's just too much. We also find that our ethnicity and our cultural background can separate us. I mean, uh, the fact is, I can't jump, nor do I have rhythm. You know, I don't have either one. <laughs> That's of what they say. That's what they say. And, you know, um, and, and if you ask anyone who understands this, we still believe that ginger ale is a medicine. I mean, you know, like John, is there a pharmaceutical grade of ginger ale? Because I swear there are people that, you know, if they drink some ginger ale, it can heal anything. Or if you ask my wife, when she goes with a headache to the store, she walks past Tylenol and leaving all the rest of them. She's looking for orange juice and a nap. You know, like does that that solves her problem? But uh, there we go. <laughs> also, our age can separate us. I mean, if you look now, baby boomers can't figure out millennials, and millennials definitely can't figure out baby boomers. I mean, there's all kinds of reason for divisions. And then, of course, if we allow it, race can definitely separate us. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but in our studies, one thing that we came up, came to the conclusion of is that there, there's a, a terminology used called filters. And, and, and filters, if, if you drink coffee, you kind of understand, like if you're old school, you drink a pot of coffee, right? So you use the filters. I'm a K-cup guy, so I just put it in there and we good, right? Just one serving. But a filter is supposed to keep what you don't want in your coffee out of your coffee, right? Uh, full, uh, from a philosophy standpoint, a filter is nothing more than a philosophy, a perspective, a point of view that we use to draw conclusions or we use to justify our behaviors or our actions. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the, the filters to uh, decide who and what we are in context rather than the word of God. And that becomes division when it comes to trying to build community. 
Amen. So the question to ask, where do these filters come from? What, what, where do the filters come that create the separation Walmart. many times? Walmart. No, not Walmart. But uh, <laughs> it's really found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And here, here's what it says. It says, do not be conformed. That literally means conditioned. Don't be conditioned by the world. Now, the world could be anything from what the world is presenting, what the world, the, the mandates that the world has, the whole idea of, of different perspectives, and even the things that, that separate us. Uh, that's what you can find. That's what the world is telling us. But then it goes on and says, but be transformed. When you think about transformation, of course, you're thinking of by the renewing of your mind. And, and when we look at a Christian perspective and a Christian point of view, that, that whole perspective comes from God's word. His word is literally the final authority. So, so we're not to be conditioned by the world, we're to be transformed by the world. And, and so from that, as a result of that, the reason we do that is that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God that the reality of heaven can be here on earth right. because Christians are beginning to understand or will understand that they, won't, they don't take their, their number or they don't take their ideas from the world. They take it from God's word. One way that we can look at this is look at some of the radical terms that Paul uses in scripture when he talks about what it means to be transformed. If you look here on the screen, you have the idea of being conformed. It's conditioned. How, how do you go about it? By renewing your mind. And then what happens there? Well, there's that radical transformation. Look at some things we find in scripture. He says, put off, but yet put on. Old self, new self, old things, new things, old creation, new creation, lies for truth. I mean, this is pretty radical when you think about it. When you're going in and looking and realizing that you've believed lies uh, up to this point in your life, and now it's time to, 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 to renew your mind and, and take that lie off and put on the truth of God's word. You know, when I think about like renewing your mind, you know, um, I have been converted over to the dark side, y'all. No pun intended. <laughs> when it comes to my phone, right? <laughs> My wife says, you can't take them nowhere. <laughs> Amen. That's right, because I drive. But anyway, uh, I now own an iPhone, right? But I'm El Cheapo, so when I go to buy something, I'm always looking for the cheaper, but you're not supposed to. So I ended up with the, the, the lowest gigs they had, 32 gigs. I was thinking, man, I don't use that many gigs. The problem is I, I maxed it out, like, like, super fast. So if you look on the screen here, this was my situation as of Saturday. You see that? 31.7. I can't download a photo without it saying, you need to manage your storage. <laughs> so what I have to do is I have to uh, go in there and find something that is not important. And I'm like, oh, that was last year. She won't be mad at that picture. You know? Uh, but the, the, the point is this. Realistically, if I deleted uh, Facebook, I would get seven gigs back. But I have a ministry on there, so I can't. Uh, but when you think about conformed mind versus transformed mind, your mind is like a hard drive. And what you have on it right now, at some point in time, it may have been important to you. But then when the new update comes, and some updates ain't worth it, but when you find one that is worth it, you got to figure out how to get that update. And see, I was an Android user for a long time. And there was this one feature on Android that just made me believe that Android was the best. And it was swipe. I don't know if any of you Android users have swipe where you can text like this. My thumbs are like Shrek's thumbs, so I can't really 
get on the keyboard like that. So there's a lot of autocorrect. So I used to do this. And I was like a poet when I it was right. So eventually Apple said, we have swipe. I said, oh, I got to get that. Um, those wedding photos, we have some real fun. We, uh, uh, that vacation, no, I'm just kidding. But long story short, I had to delete some things that were no longer serving what I thought was my higher purpose. You know, the updates come with new functions, new features, and ultimately new freedoms. But if you have something that's taking up that space, what are you going to do? You have to uninstall so that you can install that which is necessary. Think about that from a kingdom perspective. There are things that we allow to govern our lives that may have served a purpose at some point in time that now gets in the way of your update. Mm. Amen. And, and really, there's a perfect example in the Bible. If you go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3, you're, what you're going to turn to is actually the whole idea of Paul, uh, his transformation. Uh, I think most of us would know that in Acts chapter 9, we would find Paul's uh, salvation story, his, his testimony of salvation and how radical that was. But really, the whole idea of the radical life that he lived really happened in his transformation. And in Philippians chapter 3, he literally shows us how that transformation took place in his own heart. And so uh, the first thing you see there on your outline as it relates to this story is a transformed life transcends culture. It, it's, uh, this transformed life is not bound by what the culture is saying. Right. It's dictated by God's word. It's dictated by what God desires for us. So Paul really in Philippians 3 is giving his testimony of radical transformation. What he put off and what he put on. His old life versus his new life. His old identity traded for his new identity. So look at verse uh, 4 of chapter 3. Paul said, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Now, when you read this, you can say, well, he sure is arrogant about where he's coming from. No, what he's getting ready to tell you is he, he was going in totally the wrong direction until Christ intervened in his life. There were things that he was investing in. There were thoughts that he had, perspectives. All those things were completely wrong. And he's basically saying, I just knew I was on the right track. And then look at the rest of that, verse five. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's talking about his nationality. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, his ethnicity. He, concerning the law of Pharisee, speaking of his privilege. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, it speaks of his misguided passions and traditions. Concerning the righteousness, which is the law, blameless. He literally believed he could have made himself acceptable to God, but yet we see a misguided faith. All these things that, that he was so intent on doing uh, that, that he thought he was, he's beginning to evaluate all that in, in light of God's word. He's finding out it's all wrong. So what do we find? We'll look on your outline. We see Paul's identity, old identity. It led to exclusivity. It was that idea that all these things he put so much emphasis on was excluding him and God really couldn't use him in that way. Mm. Second of all, Paul's old perspective. It led to divisions, even discrimination and destruction and even prejudice, prejudices. Uh, these are what's needed when you think about it uh, to be transformed. To, to have our old identity become a new identity, an old perspective become a new perspective. Hmm. You know, we as Christians, you know, here's the thing, like, 
it, it shouldn't be that we shouldn't ultimately be defined by our identity or our filters. You know, uh, I mentioned that again because that's how we process life. That's how we interact in life. You know, your gender, your race, your nationality, your experiences, even your, your economic status, you know, classes can, privilege that can get in the way, politics, all of these things are like hats that you put on. When you're in a certain crowd, you have to be this way, you know. Uh, for me, it was about street cred, you know, you know, um, and, 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 and that struggle of how American are you? How black are you? You know what I'm saying? Mm. I was challenged one day. There's a saying that goes, never judge a book by its cover, right? But there was this one time that uh, God used the book cover. That was all it was. I didn't have to read the book, but it was the book cover that caused me to challenge this notion of am I letting a filter get in the way of Christ? And the title of the book was called I Am More Christian Than African American by Kim Cash Tate. Hmm. Uh, like I said, I never read the book, but that title was so profound. It challenged me to like search the scriptures and to find out like, like what is going on? And by the grace of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, I came away understanding that my value system has to be Christ mm. is my filter and whatever uh, doesn't support that, mm. I don't pour my life through that. Mm. So, I mean, that was the wake up call. And, and then uh, Paul even says it like this because he, he came to this conclusion. In, in Galatians 3.28, he says, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There was neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Mm. Now, what he wasn't saying is, you aren't what you are. If you were in debt, you were a slave and you owed somebody something, mm. you know. But in Christ, your title or your identity was not in what you were socially, it was in who you were spiritually. Mm. You know, he says in Colossians 3.3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Mm. So he had to come to this conclusion that he could not elevate his Jewish heritage above Christ. He could not elevate his uh, Hebrew practices above Christ. Mm. So that brings us to the next part. What keeps us as, fo as followers of Christ from actually living out this thing called harmony? What keeps us from living out unity? Mm with those who named the name of Christ. Mm. Uh, there was a, uh, an interview, it was about a two hour interview, but there was a little segment of that interview that jumped out to me. And I said, you know what? There's Bible for what that guy's saying. Mm -hmm. And he deals with uh, racial division. And he said this about it. He said, uh, what we need to do, if we're gonna solve or fix the problem of racial division, he said, we need to stop treating the symptoms. He said, don't worry about the hatred. Don't worry about the fear. Those are all symptoms. He said, in order to cure the problem, you have to treat the source. Mm -hmm. And he said, the source of all of this division is ignorance. Mm -hmm. And that's the first point, mm -hmm. ignorance. Ignorance doesn't mean you don't have any knowledge. It just means you lack knowledge. Mm -hmm. The knowledge you have, somehow it makes us protective. So we hold to what we know and everything else isn't the truth because we ain't believed it yet. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't, I don't know that, so it ain't true. <laughs> mm -hmm. Really? 
But ignorance keeps us from solving the problem. This gentleman also goes on to say that if you can cure ignorance, he said the cure for ignorance is actually education. If you learn what you are ignorant about, you can fix ignorance. And if you fix ignorance, then there's nothing to fear, which is the next point. Mm -hmm. And if you fix fear, if there's nothing to fear, then there's nothing to hate mm -hmm. or disagree with. Mm. And if there's nothing to disagree with, then there's nothing to fight against. Mm -hmm. So I thought that his statement was profound, but mm -hmm. when you talk about fear, you know, there's an acronym for fear, you know, false evidence appearing real. Mm. Well, I have this thing with acronyms. It's, it's a, a, a blessing and a curse because I try to acronize everything, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm like, is there an acronym for Dasani? Let's see, the, you know, and then just, I just go off on a tangent, but there is an actual uh, one that, that helps me to understand what fear is. Fear is uh, fretful emotions assuming ruin. Mm. Whenever you're thinking in fear, now there's a such thing as healthy fear, but that's another topic, but most fear is unhealthy because it's causing us to think about the worst out, outcome rather than what's the possible outcome that would be good for us. So when you have fear controlling your emotions, you're not thinking clearly, you're not gonna be thinking biblically. Mm -hmm. There's also hatred. Mm -hmm. Hatred, this gentleman went on this quest because when he was in the Boy Scouts, um, there was a situation that really happened in his life that it, 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 it hurt him and he didn't understand like, why is this happening to me? Why do these people hate me? And he said, how do they hate me when they don't even know me? Mm -hmm. So as he became an adult, he went on a quest to basically destroy this wall that was between him and other people. Mm. And he did it through conversations. Amen. Another uh, thing that, that keeps us from harmonizing and unifying is stereotypes. You know, that's a mild thing. You know, sometimes we throw stereotypes around. Uh, but, but really, in, in essence, what a stereotype is, it's, it's, a, it's a quick label. It's a way that you can, you know, I can sum somebody up by just how they dress or how they talk or whatever. But here's the problem with stereotypes. Stereotypes absolve us from the need to investigate mm. or the need to interact. Mm. See, there's a saying that the enemy of learning is knowing. What does that mean? See, when we assume that we know something, instantly there's a tendency to just stop listening. I already know that. My kids are like, I already know that, Dad. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know? But the enemy of learning is knowing and it stops understanding, and that absolves you from interacting. Mm. We don't take the time. Our perceptions then are driven by things outside of us that are affirming us. Media is a perfect example. Like I said, you know, acronyms, I don't watch the news that much. News stands for not even worth seeing. <laughs> um, I'm joking. I do watch it some just to stay on top of things, but if you think about it, uh, Denzel Washington said this when he was interviewed. He said, you know, the media's focus is on being first, not factual. Mm. And I thought that was pretty profound. And if you think about it, do the investigation, do the, the interaction so that you don't use a quick label to, miss, to be misinformed or misled. Mm. Another one is um, choosing your feelings over truth. Now this this is, is real, like when you choose your feelings over your truth. Uh, I heard Bob Proctor say, 
that we hear with our ears, but we listen to our emotions. So even if you hear it, it doesn't mean you agree with it. We usually are led by our emotions. You ever heard the saying, never make a permanent decision based on temporary feelings? Some things are irreversible when you do that. And then there's extreme positions, and I think you want to share something about that, bro. Yeah, with the extreme positions, we're seeing this in our culture right now. It's almost like we're, if you have an extreme position, guess what the response will always be? Another extreme on the other side. Yeah. And that's what's creating the great divide that we're finding in our culture today. Sure. And that's the reason there's such, uh, there's such raw emotion when we hear from extremes and versus the other, uh, because we react. To, we, ex, we react to something that's extreme with another extreme. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really no place in the kingdom of God. And that's not where we need to be. But yet wow. we find people who identify as, as being in Christ or being believers and are being divided by these extremes. Sure. When he says, no, the most important thing is that you're in Christ. Amen. Let the rest fall out from that point. And then lastly, we've mentioned this briefly, but the whole idea, another thing, reason that we're not in harmony or in unity is conditioning. And it's really that idea of how have we been conditioned when it comes to those things that separate us. For some of us, it could be race. Next, we see on our outline, a transformed life requires conversion. Mm. If, if, if someone came to me and said, uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer in Christ, uh, the only way I could basically determine whether that were true or not is me asking the question, well, tell me uh, what kind of transformation has taken place in your life? What, what kind of conversion process have you gone through? Well, I just love Jesus, okay? Tell me how you've been transformed. Because based on what we find with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, that is his conversion. But from that, we find Philippians chapter 3 where the transformation has taken place. And it's unfolding right here in front of us. So look at verse, uh, we see, first of all, Paul's evaluation for Christ. Look at verse seven. But what things were gained to me, all those things that made up my, I thought was my identity, all those things that created divisions with other people, all those things that led to my misguided faith, my misguided passions, all these things that messed up my perspective, look what he says. These things I've counted for loss. Those things at one time were the most precious things in his life. Mm. And he's basically saying they mean nothing anymore because of what's happened in Christ. He said, these things I've counted loss for Christ. Mm. Next, we see Paul's conclusion, the fact that he gained Christ. Look at verse eight. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's two words there that really that pop out, the word knowledge and he, when he says, my Lord. And, and both of those tell us that we're speaking of, of, of him not just knowing things about God or Jesus, he's actually experiencing him. Mm. Experiencing him is part of the transformation. Experiencing his word is part of the transformation. And he's basically coming very clean with this. And then he says, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. Those things that were so precious to me, those things that marked who I was, my identity was in those things. I, I've lost all that. I found out it was going in the wrong way. It wasn't even the right perspective. And then he says, I count them now as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Basically, he's basically saying, I, I, I'm not holding nothing back. If he wants this transformed, let him have his way. If he wants my perspective on how I see people, let him have his way. If he thinks this needs to be corrected, let him have his way. 
Rodney. Yeah. And then there's the thought of um, what does it take to have a transformed life? And uh, it's this. A transformed life requires courage. It requires courage. Uh, I came across this quote, and I thought it was profound because it was totally a shock to my system. Look at what it says. The opposite of courage is not cowardice, which I thought it was. It's actually conformity. So when you flesh that thought out and you think about it, conformity is basically an unwillingness to go against the grain of what's accepted. Mm. When you find out it's not right, but you continue to do it, you're being conformed and not transformed. Mm. So, you know, we, we don't want to think about conform like when Paul talks about it as, you know, you don't dress this way or you don't do these particular things. It's how do you solve your problems? Do you use biblical wisdom or earthly wisdom? Because if it's earthly wisdom, then that's worldly. Mm. So conformity, if, if it's never uh, checked, it becomes a stronghold. And, and then it goes against what God expects and focuses on what man accepts. Mm. So it takes courage to trade what's wrong for what's right. And if you think about Paul's conversion, he had to trade the lies that he was taught and believed to invest in the truth that Jesus declared. Mm -hmm. And when you think about investment, the word risk comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to risk it? Because at the end of all of this, Paul was lonely because those he persecuted didn't want anything to do with him, and those he persecuted for wanted nothing to do with him, so here he is by himself. So he considered that risk, and he says he counted it what he gained as dung, that he may uh, have the excellency of Christ. Mm. And see, this led to change, the change in his identity, and the change in your identity begins with a change in your perspective. Mm. It starts here before it ever enters out here in the form of habits and actions. So is it possible to be taught the wrong thing by the right person? That was the, the challenge that I had because, you know, let's be honest. Everything we may have learned may have been from a Christian, but was it Christian? Mm. And here's what I find happens. You know, when we don't have a spiritual mind about things, we, we go to the default, which is the natural mind. Mm. So we do the best we can with what we have. Mm -hmm. But the moment you come to the truth, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's when the opportunity to make a 180 happens. So here we have Paul's declaration. Paul's declaration was to know him. Look in verse nine. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, and he didn't get it by law, he got it by faith. Mm. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul goes from a declaration to isolation. Paul's isolation occurred because he had to agree with the, 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 the fallout of his transformation, to suffer for him. Verse 10, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So why does it take courage to be transformed? Because when we begin to find our identity in Christ, 
it automatically means we have to lose our old identity. See, Christianity isn't an accessory you add to your life. Mm. It becomes a necessity for life. Mm -hmm. And you have to be willing to exchange, not just add. Mm -hmm. See, maybe you have uh, assumed your identity in Christ and it has caused some friction between family, friends, whatever. You may feel abandoned, you may feel alone, but the truth of the matter is, you didn't lose your family, your friends, you just lost fellowship. But God has a new group that will come alongside of you and fellowship with you and, and be your support. And you will continue to grow and flourish and gain understanding and, and con uh, confidence and courage to do what is right. So Paul went from being alone to no one trusting him to ultimately having the support that was necessary for him to grow in his faith. Next, we find in this text, uh, transformed life demands change. And the first thing we find there is Paul's mindset. And this is very interesting because I think this is the key to transformation. He went from having a mindset of having arrived to pressing on. Look what he says in verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, now, now, why is this the difference? This is a major transformation. This is a major change in his life. If you go back and read previously before Christ, he was self-assured. He had arrived. He had it all. He, I mean, his mission was intact. He was out there to destroy Christianity. Everything was intact. You couldn't, you couldn't tell him anything. And it took the resurrected Lord to get in his face, basically, knock him down <laughs> to, to get his attention. And you see so many times, and some of those people may be here right now this morning, and you, you had that I have arrived mentality. Listen, you, that means you can't be told anything or taught anything. Mm. That, that means you're going, to be, you're going to be stuck in ignorance. Mm. And it may lead to other things that could be very damaging to you and those around you and really take away from the purposes of what God's community, the church, is supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. And so he goes from I have arrived so I press on. Look what he says next. He says, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Mm. He basically says, I want what he wants for me. And for some of you sitting here this morning, it is probably going to be a different mindset especially when it comes to those things that separate us, when it comes to race and prejudice, prejudice, prejudice. We're making up words today, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, we're making up words today. But anyway. <laughs> it's okay. But he says, and here's the key, y'all. I press on. It describes a process or a journey. It means we're all on this journey together becoming all that God desires us to be. And, and we don't arrive. I will be a work in progress until I see him face to face, and Glory. you will too. Amen. But Amen. the fact is that we are in the transformation. We are being transformed. Next, we see Paul's focus. It's really that whole idea of going from releasing to reaching. And again, we find the language that speaks of really a journey. So look at verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. There it is again. I haven't arrived, okay? But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me. Those things that were told to me by the right people, the wrong thing. The, the, the prejudice that I may have taken down from family member to, to where I am or, or any other idea that is outside of God's word. And he's basically saying those things that I found my identity in, all those things of discrimination, all that, that's, that's behind me. Mm -hmm. But then he says, I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. 
He says, and here he defines that. Look at verse 14. I press toward the goal, the mark, the race that God has predetermined for me for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is this terminology here is not that he would be found worthy of the prize for salvation. Salvation's already taken place. Right. He, he's, he's looking for the prize that comes with the transformation. Becoming everything that God desires him to be. And what, what's the root of that? To be more Christ-like. Amen. To become like him. The focus of Paul's life, and this is key, went from who he was and what he did to whose he was and who he was becoming. Mm. There's a lot of religious people out there who are caught more up in the who they are and what they've done instead of who they are becoming and whose they are. So in my early 20s, as a result of knowing that shouldn't be there and God began to do a work in my life, I was becoming transformed. He brought an African-American in my life. His name was Donis. Mm -hmm. And he came in my life. We became great buddies. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he was one of those, he'd give you a shirt off his back. We would sit around on our breaks and just talk about this whole idea because I was searching. I I wanted to know. I wanted to have Mm -hmm. an honest conversation about what divided us. And boy, I tell you, I learned more during that time working with Donna than any other time of my life. And I watched transformation begin to take place in my own life. That's phenomenal. You know, and, and, and that leads to the next point. You know, a transformed life transforms community. You know, it, 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 God doesn't give it to us to keep. He gives it to us to use. You know, he, we are creators we have a creative mind and he wants us to, to, to figure out ways to, to spread this message, to be this example. And um, Unite was amazing, the part that I caught, but the speaker, there was something that he said that I came on the heels of it, but I, I came in here just enough. But he said this about unification and, and how awesome is God to put that together because that was on the eve of this mm. and it wasn't coordinated. It wasn't a plan. I asked Brian just for confirmation. No, God put that together. And he said this about unification. He said, unification is about loving people, not tolerating people. There's a big difference between loving and tolerating. Loving you means I want to bless you and enhance you. Tolerating you means I won't hurt you. (laughs) And you got to ask yourself the question, am I putting up with you or am I trying to be a blessing to you? And uh, that stuck out to me. And like I said, I heard just enough of that. But then there was a writer named Alvin Tobler. He said this, the illiterate of the 21st century will, be, will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Mm. And I thought that, that applies in some way spiritually because we kind of get this information and we aren't you know, quick to let it go. But if it's not serving the kingdom, and God wants to give you a new update, if you will. You got to make room for it. Mm. You know, there's no room for it. And I, I think that, you know, Paul's plea, which is on your outline there, is what this speaks of. Paul's plea was ultimately for unity, the maturing together. It wasn't just enough that he got it, but he needed to make sure that everybody else got it too. Mm-hmm. He says, therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if, any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will even reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that ye have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, 
join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have in us as a pattern. Mm. So there was Paul's plea for unity. Then there was Paul's impact. It was about influence. John Maxwell says that a leader is not someone with a title, but someone with influence. Mm -hmm. So he lived his life as an example to influence those who were looking for a template or a blueprint or a model, if you will, of how should I pattern my life in a way that pleases God. And Paul gave his life literally to that cause. So Paul's journey went from exclusion to inclusion. What divides us should be what transforms us through sanctification, not the things that we've gained and we practice uh, that don't serve the kingdom. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, how many of you guys are worried, uh, wondering what this is here for? I mean, it was you interesting. Some of it. You, you guys are actually going to get the, the behind the scenes. This is the VIP. They didn't get this in the first service. <laughs> we had somebody come up to us. They didn't need a closure. What is that about? What's that cake about? Okay, so we, we, object lessons are pretty awesome. And what we have here is cake. Cake is for celebrations, right? You shouldn't treat the Bible like cake. You should treat it like daily bread, right? <laughs> Some, sometimes we, re, we treat it like cake only on special occasions. But anyway, that's a side note. This colorful cake is for those in the back so you can see all the colors. <laughs> but cake is a beautiful thing. But what it takes to make cake, and thank uh, Miss Tina for letting Brian leave the house with some of these ingredients. <laughs> she didn't let him leave with the, the, the best ingredients. I said, where's the vanilla extract? Oh, she wasn't letting that go. <laughs> but what we have here are just a few ingredients. You have eggs, you have salt. Who would have thought salt was in it? Baking powder, then you have sugar, and you have flour. Now, all of these things by themselves really don't taste that great, right? Like no one's just, oh, oh, just dumping flour into their mouth. That cake was good. I just can't wait for the process. Just give me, you know, it, trying to eat all these things by themselves, is just, it doesn't work. But what it takes to make cake is harmony and unity. You got to put these things together and they have to work in unison. So you got your vanilla extract and you got your sugar and you got your brown sugar and you got your salt <laughs> and you got, you know, all of these things need to be put together. And without this being put together, you can't have this. Cake is for celebration. What is God and what is heaven celebrating right now? Hmm. What we're living is a dress rehearsal for what's going to be real when we get there. All tongues, all nations, all tribes, all races. So let's take our gifts, take our practices, take what we are. If you're flour, brown sugar, caramel, whatever you are, <laughs> harmonize so that we can have cake. Amen. So it really leads to our application this morning. Does your life display the reality of heaven here on earth. For some of us this morning, it's going to take transformation. It's going to take a conversion. It's going to take a different mindset, a different perspective. Because I don't know about you, I want our church to resemble the reality of heaven. I do. With all Amen. my heart, I want us to be that. And, and I believe we would make a desperate, it'd be a desperate mistake not to strive to do that. Because that's what he's called us to be. And then second of all, do you do your part in helping us achieve harmony in the diversity of God's kingdom community?
What's your part in this? Your part is to be transformed. Amen. Your part is to have the mindset of Christ. And believe me, my, the mindset of Christ is very inclusive hmm. uh, when it comes to those things. And he wants you to be a part of it. So I want to close with this last verse. Verse 20 of Philippians chapter 3. For our citizenship is where? It is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you, if you can't get, uh, th- get this around your mind right now and, and, and just know that God's called us in the community with one another, no matter what our race, our culture, our background, if you can't get your mind around it, you're going to have a tough time in eternity because we're all going to be together, all of us, mm. praising him forever. So right now, what I want to do is go over this sheet. Thank you for reminding me. This is on the eye desk in the back back there. Please, please pick this up because this is like... I think this will help you. Many, for me, I told you my conversation with Donis, the guy I worked with in Wilmington, uh, that conversation went a long way for me. And I know, I know uh, Rodney's had other conversations with other people, but really, when it really comes down to it, how do we achieve harmony and diversity or build bridges into what divides us? Here it is. We need to learn to have an honest communication, have honest communication. We need to ask questions. Right. We, we just need to ask questions. Number two, we need to listen to the other side without listening to learn to support our own position. Sure. We, we go into a conversation like this to seek to understand one another. So right. vital. And this could go well with your marriage too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Number three, don't be overly sensitive or easily uh, offended. We live in a world where we can't talk about anything without someone going mm. crazy on us. That's not what the church is supposed to look like. Right. We don't take our cues from the rest of the world. We take our cues from the scripture. And we shouldn't be that hypersensitivity or hypersensitive that we see in our society. Fourthly, seek to identify with others unlike you. Uh, seek to disarm the differences. Sit down and have that conversation. Talk about those differences. Celebrate those differences. That's Amen. okay too. And then fifthly, look for God, look for clarity in God's word. And by the way, when you look for it, here's what you're going to find. Here's his expectation. Anything that honors him and advances his kingdom takes precedent over everything else. And that would include us in community with one another. You know why? Because we're called to love one another and we're called to reach others. And if we can't love one another, we won't reach others. That's the key.